Good morning. I already said it once, but for those of you that weren't in the room, good morning. My name is John. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we are getting ready for Christmas. I know all of you are, and it's an exciting time of year. I even wore my red plaid today, you know. Yes, there's still a lot of black in it, but still, it's kind of Christmassy, and so I'm going with it because I'm getting in the spirit this year. I've made a decision. I'm not going to be the Grinch that I normally am. We're here. It's Christmas. I'm growing out the beard, all right? Good. And by the way, I see some good beards around the room, too, all right? Appreciate that. I'm not going to let it get out of control like it did last year, but this year, it's going to stay under control. Jess wasn't happy with the Christmas beard last year, not happy with the Christmas picture. But either way, it's not about the beards, is it? Christmas isn't about the beards. No. It's about presents. (laughs) It's about gifts, right? Well, we're, of course, in the series talking about the presents that are bigger than the ones that we find under the tree. But uh, out of curiosity, we always have to ask this. It's sort of obligatory around the Christmas season. How many of you already have Christmas shopping done? Anybody? Oh, a bunch of you. All right. Well, listen, Amazon's running behind, so some of you need to get on this. I know I didn't raise my Sorry, I shouldn't raise my hand. (laughs) Mine's not done. All right. How How many of you already have Christmas presents under the tree? Oh, you are cruel. You know that? I mean, it's like, there's like, how many? It's like two weeks left, right? Your kids, your family, your, you know, whoever it is that those presents are for, they got to stare at those things for two more weeks knowing they can't open them. You like that. (laughs) It's a game, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if you're like me, but the Christmas tree presents always went under the tree early in my house growing up. And so our whole thing, the game we played was everybody tried to guess what all their presents were. Right? You enjoy doing that? There's some, there's some tests you can run to try and figure out what things are, right? First of all, there's a time test. The earlier it goes under the tree, the less likely it is to be alive, right? You know, if it's under the tree already, it's not a puppy. You can rule that out. It's not a pony, all right? You've got, you've got the time test. Uh, the shape test, of course, you look at it and you look at the shape and you try to judge by the shape of the box or whatever. One year I got a bow and arrow for Christmas. That was an easy guess. All right, that was not not complicated with that one. All right, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes you have to move on to the weight test, right? How heavy is it? You start to figure out what might be in this thing. We used to play this game. Or what's next after the weight test? Shake test, that's right. Right, there's some things when you do the shake test, sometimes you do the shake test and the people who are giving the gift get nervous because they know what's in there. All right, but you do the shake test, there's some that are dead giveaways right away. Like, give me one. Legos, that's the obvious one. Everyone knows what a, what a box of Legos sounds like when you shake it, so you can figure out the Legos, but still don't know what Lego it is. And then sometimes if the shake test doesn't work, the weight test doesn't, the shape test, or the time test doesn't work, sometimes you got to go to the old uh, the smell test. <laughs> yeah, give it a sniff. See if it smells like anything. Does it smell like an Amazon truck? Does it smell like Walmart? You know, they have distinct smells. Sometimes you can figure it out that way. There's this great anticipation, right, of having that gift under the tree and trying to figure out what it is. And you just, there's something about looking at a gift. And it could be a birthday or Christmas or whatever. Something about looking at a gift, you just want to open it, right? You're itching to open it. So so I brought one today. Hang on. Hang on. (laughs) I have a present. Yeah. The bag, I, I, I thought of this, I thought of this last night. I didn't have anything else beside the bag. <laughs> All right? You, it smells like a bag. <laughs> 
shake test? Sounds like a bag, yeah. It sounds like, what's the shape? It's shaped like a bag. Yeah. I, we, can't, we can't tell just by looking at the outside what it is. We're going to have to, like, we have to open it, right? We actually have to go inside. We have to look at it more deeply to figure out what's actually inside the present, right? And all you got to do is just pull this bow on the top. Pull the bow on the top, and the bag opens right up, and I can take a look at what's in there to know what's in the present. Since we don't know based on the shape test or the time test or the smell test or the shake test, we don't know what's in there. We got to look, actually look inside the package, right? But we're not going to do that. (laughs) But what we're doing in the series is we're looking more deeply into the gift. We're looking more deeply into the present, the gift that God gave us on Christmas, And we've talked about the gift of simply his presence with us, Emmanuel, God with us. That was the first week we discussed in the series. Last week, we talked about the gift of peace that is for all men. We talked about the uh, angels showing up to the shepherds and walked all the way through that to understand that if God would offer peace to the shepherds, he will certainly offer it to anyone. And if you missed that, I want to encourage you to check that message out. You can go see that on our website or on YouTube or whatever. Today, we're going to take a look at what is maybe the most classic gift story in the Christmas story. The one we probably think of if we say Christmas presents and we're thinking about the nativity, and that is the wise men. All right, we're going to take a look at the story of the wise men, what happened with them, and what the gift was. And I think what we're going to find, because when we think of the wise men, we think of the three gifts that they gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? But there's a bigger gift at play here. A bigger gift, and it's not one that they give. It's the one they are given, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read this portion of the Christmas story. It's in Matthew, the gospel. This one's in the gospel of Matthew. Last week we were in Luke, this week in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your print Bible, go ahead and pull that out, and it's going to be about three-quarters of the way through if you're new to the Bible. And uh, if you don't have that, of course, on your phone, you can uh, get an app, the Bible app or any other app like that. You can pull it up and read it on your phone or mobile device. I'm giving you time to get there right now, by the way. All right, (laughs) so you can pull it up on your mobile device or in your print Bible. And, of course, if you don't have either one of those things, uh, we'll have it on the screen for you. But like I always say, it's good to get in the habit of reading it from if you're, your phone, if that's where you read the Bible from, or from a print Bible. That way you're used to it, you're accustomed to it, and you're practicing reading your uh, Bible. So you can do it on Monday the same as you do today. So, but if you don't have those, you can't. Uh, they'll be on the screen. All right, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is kind of a, it's kind of a crazy scenario. It's a crazy setup. You imagine being someone in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, these weird guys, they're not, from, they're not from around there. They look different. They smell different. There's a smell test. They smell different. They've just been on a long journey. They show up in town, and they start asking everyone around, where's the new king? Where is the king? And specifically, they're asking for the Christ who everybody there knows this is supposed to be the king of Jews. This is the one who's been prophesied about. They're asking for the Christ. And immediately, these strange men create this this crazy stir, 
this, this just bustle of gossip and back room talks and questions. What's going on? Who are these guys? Where are they coming from? What are they talking about? What is this star they're talking about? A lot of confusion surrounding them. So first of all, let's answer the question, who are these guys? Uh, We're told that they are wise men who come from the east, and the term is used of them, magi. They are magi. Now, if they're magi, then we are relatively certain, almost completely certain, that they come from Babylon. Now, those of you who are familiar with Scripture will know that Babylon comes up a bunch of times in Scripture. In fact, these guys, they were the wise men, or magi. Think about the word magi, magi, similar to the root for magician in our culture. So these were sorcerers, essentially, which we have our own picture, like we picture Gandalf the wizard, of course, when we use the word sorcerer or whatever. But these were essentially the, the philosophers, the astronomers, the scientists, or as scientific as they could be, in that culture. They were the thinkers in the culture. And so in Babylon, these guys would have been way high up. They'd have been right next to the king. In fact, we read about Magi, not here. We actually read about Magi earlier in Scripture, Because years and years before this, Babylon overtook the southern kingdom of Israel. And when they overtook the southern kingdom of Israel, or Judah, they took the people of Israel to Babylon with them. It's called the Babylonian exile. So the Israelites are taken to Babylon, and the Babylonian king chooses the best and the brightest among the Israelites to try to Babylonize them. Okay, I don't know how to say that exactly, but try to take these incredible, you know, you know cream, the, the cream of the crop to uh, turn them into great Babylonian citizens. And some of them we read about in Scripture. Uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, who get renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so those three guys are the guys that get thrown into the fiery furnace, if you're familiar with that story. But another one of them is one of their friends, and his name is Daniel. And I can barely pronounce Daniel's Babylon, Babylonian name. We just know him as Daniel, so we're going to stick with Daniel. All right? Daniel, of course, gets thrown in the lion's den because he won't bow down and because he will continue to pray to his God and not just to the king. All right? But Daniel was one of the magi. See, one of the roles that they would perform is that when the king had a bizarre dream, he would bring the magi to him, and the magi would interpret his dreams for them. So he was. So when it says when we read about King Nebuchadnezzar having these crazy, this crazy dream, and he brings all of the wise men, he brings all of the magi to him, and none of them can interpret his dream. But then he brings Daniel, and Daniel is able to interpret his dream. Daniel was one of the magi. This is part of the role that they would fulfill. And so these guys, likely. Now, we don't know this. We have to assume this because they come from the east. These magi come likely from Babylon, and they come to town, and they're asking for the Christ. How do these guys in Babylon know who the Christ is? (laughs) How do they know about the prophecies? It's most likely because of Daniel, probably because the Israelites brought their prophecy, brought their books with them, and the Babylonians became familiar with that. And so when they see this astronomical anomaly, this star in the sky that wasn't there before that they don't understand, and they feel compelled for some reason to follow this thing. They would often believe that a star, a rising star, signified either the birth or the death of a king. So they would see, they saw the star rising, they followed it and went on this journey that would have taken 
It's hard to say exactly. It depends on how far they could travel in a given amount of time. I think it's like 600 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem or so. Roughly a three-month journey if they went nonstop and were able to go like, I don't want to do the math, a ways, a day, a reasonable amount. They didn't have cars. They didn't have trains. They didn't have planes. They didn't have any of the stuff. They had like camels and donkeys, okay? So they couldn't go very fast. So it would take probably three months or so. But but they see, and we'll, we'll talk about the timing in a minute, but they see this star, and they set out on this journey. And I don't know whether they knew right away that it was over Israel, that it was over Jerusalem, and that this was the king of the Jews and this was the Christ. Or maybe this was a progressive thing they figured out as they got closer. Like at first it was just a star and they didn't really know anything about it, but it's just a star. And now we're going to set out on our journey. And now we're heading in this direction and we look, oh, Jerusalem's kind of in this direction, we think. And then they get closer and closer and closer and they start putting the pieces together. And maybe it was putting the pieces together that by the time they got to Jerusalem, they knew this must be the birth of the Christ. All right? That's who these guys are and that's what they're expecting to find. They end up in Jerusalem and they're asking around, where's the new king? Now you can imagine that if someone showed up in town and started asking around for the new king, that might bother a few people. Namely, the king. Yes, he would have a problem with that. And of course he does. And so we keep reading in verse 3. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You can imagine. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When Herod ain't happy, Ain't nobody happy. <laughs> he is troubled. He's disturbed. Obviously, he's concerned about this idea of a new king. I mean, a king is always worried about insurrection and all of that sort of thing. Imagine for a minute, if you put yourself in his shoes, you can understand why he'd be upset. Imagine you're a manager in a business, and one day a guy in a suit walks in and comes up, and he said, I'd like to speak to the manager. And you're like, well, that's me. And he said, no, the new manager what do you mean, the new manager? <laughs> the new manager. I mean, this would upset you, and it, it certainly upset Herod. And so Herod begins a scheme of trying to figure out where this new king is. Why? So he can eliminate him. He got to eliminate the threat. That's what he's thinking. And I think it's funny because it's a little comical, and of course we understand it historically, uh, but I think that this is a common response to the knowledge of Jesus' birth. Because Herod hears that the king of the Jews has been born, or so these strange guys say. And his first thought is not amazing. Awesome, we've been waiting for this. His response is, what is that going to cost me? And I think that's a common response to the awareness that Jesus Christ came here to earth, that the Son of God took on human form and lived among us, and gave his life on the cross, paying for our sin, and rose again on the third day. And there are people that come to the realization that that is true, and that happened. And the first question is, what is this going to cost me? And many people are not willing to pay that. It's so scary for them. If it, even if it's simply giving up our own power or position in our mind, because our natural state is to look at ourselves as God, ourselves as in control, and to recognize that we are not is a hard thing for us to release, and Herod is unwilling to release that. Let's keep reading verse, uh, verse 4. So what does he do? He gathers all his guys together, all his wise men, 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, and by the way, there's no indication that he's actually talked to the wise men yet. He probably has just heard through the grapevine that they're around and they're asking this stuff. So the first thing he does, he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, and this is a quote, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, this comes from Micah chapter 5. Now, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, so they knew. They knew that he was coming. They were waiting for him. They were expecting him. They knew where he was going to be born. Right? They knew all of this. Yet they didn't go to see the baby, did they? They didn't go to find him. They were supposedly expecting him. They were supposedly waiting for him. But when, even though they knew where he was going to be born and people came to town and said, hey, he's been born, we saw the sign, they missed him. They missed him. And I've, I've wondered this. The, the, the wise men see this star in the sky. Why didn't they, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who should have seen the star, the people who should have known, the people who were supposedly were waiting for the king, the people who wanted the Messiah to come, or at least seemed to, why didn't they see the star? They missed it. Maybe they weren't even allowed, maybe they weren't allowed to see it. Maybe, maybe God hid it from them. Maybe only the Magi saw it, or maybe they just weren't looking. Maybe they just weren't looking. This was the first opportunity for the religious establishment to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they missed it. They missed it, and they would continue to miss it. Shouldn't they have at least checked it out? <laughs> no. See, I don't think they were really looking. I don't think that they really wanted the Messiah to come because the Messiah coming, at least in the form that he did, and not coming as a king being born in Jerusalem where apparently the wise men were expecting to find this new king in the city, in the capital, because he wasn't what they expected, because he wasn't born where they expected, because he wasn't the kind of person they expected, they would not, could not accept him. So, verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, so now he gathers these strangers that are in town, secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, does anybody actually think that Herod's plan was to go back and worship the child. No, that was never his plan. Never his plan. He was going to eliminate the threat. He's trying to locate him, get some intel, and eliminate this child. And he asked him about the timeline. When did you see the star exactly? Why is he doing that? He's trying to figure out how to get this kid. He's trying to piece together a timeline so that he can track him down. So he knows what he's looking for. 
And this is one of the things about the wise men that always gets debated, the, the timeline. When did they show up, and when did the star appear, and all of that? And we don't have a lot of information on that. Later, uh, Herod puts out a decree that every child under two years old, every male child under two years old is to be killed in the area. And some people have said, well, it means that maybe the, the wise men showed up two years, up to two years later, and that he was trying to kill the child two years later. But the, the problem is, even if the wise men tell Herod when the star appeared and when they showed up to Bethlehem, we still don't know how that relates to the actual birth of Jesus. So he doesn't know how old Jesus is. So my guess is he puts out the decree for two years old because he's just trying to cover his basis. He figures this baby's been born sometime within the last two years, and so we're going we're gonna to just clean them all out, which is a, a sick thing to say or think, um, but, but it's how insecure he was as a leader. And so we don't really know. It's possible that the star showed up early enough that the wise men got to Bethlehem right when Jesus was born, in which case your nativity scenes are correct. All right, so just keep them as they are. That's possible. It's possible the star showed up uh, the day that Jesus was born, and it took them about three months to get there, and so then they arrive, you know, three months after he's born or so. Uh, Or it's possible that it is up to two years. We just don't know. So for everybody who loves to debate that kind of stuff, the answer is we don't know, and it doesn't matter. All right, they showed up to worship Jesus because God gave them this sign. All right, uh, verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. I don't know exactly what this means. Maybe it means it was moving. It was some sort of celestial body. It might have been an angel. We don't know. But now it seems to move till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So now the star moves and it, things get more specific. The closer they get, the closer they look, the more specific they become until the star leads them right to Jesus. And this is the payoff. They've, they've, been, they've been journeying for months. They've been asking around, doing interviews, inquiring. They've talked to Herod. They've gone through this whole thing. And finally, their journey that started with seeing this strange star has paid off. And they find what they've been looking for. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is such an incredible moment. And there's significance in each one of these gifts and and. You know, at other Christmases, we've talked about that, and we're not going to spend time there. It'd be something interesting to look into for you. But uh, those gifts that they give them are symbols of worship. That after this long journey, they found what they were looking for, and they symbolize that with those gifts. You know, we, we often at Christmas, we think about gifts. We think about the wise men, the gifts that they present, and it's a beautiful thing to give gifts to people that symbolize our relationship with them. It's really, really great. It's loving and caring and gracious, and it's generous. But the best gift wasn't what they gave. It's what they received. What they received was a star to lead them to the Savior. What they received was God's guidance and leadership that brought them to Jesus himself. 
And that is a tremendously beautiful gift, far more beautiful than what they could have presented to him. And I think they knew that. That they give this, and in a sense, it's like this is the least that we can offer. After getting to be here and witness and experience what we've experienced. I think that in our own life that God often uses, in essence, stars to lead us to Jesus. And they may look like people, and they may look like places, and they may look like phrases, or they may look like uh, gifts or other things that God uses to draw us initially to Jesus, to the point where we walk up to him and we realize that he is real, that he is the Son of God, that he was born. And for us, knowledge that the the wise men didn't have, that he died, that on the cross he gave his life for us that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he was put into a tomb, and that on the third day he rose again in power and victory, and that that is good news for us because it is impossible for us to climb our way or earn our way to God. We need him. And he gave his life for you, and he gave his life for me. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he saves us, and that is good news. And some of you may have never accepted that good news before, but God has placed stars in your life that have led you here now. And they may be people, or they may be invite cards, or they may be songs on the radio, or they may be, it could be so many things, but these are things that God has used to draw you to Jesus so that you can see the baby in the manger, to know that he was given for you, to see the Savior on the cross, and to see the Savior on the other side of the tomb. And now that you stand face to face with him, what will your response be? To accept him or to reject him like Herod did? To accept him like the wise men or to reject him like Herod? That's a choice for you to make. God has used this star. He has drawn you to the point of salvation. And then I think this is so interesting. I never thought about it this way until till this year, but let's look at verse 12. So they come and they meet Jesus and they, they, they present their gifts to him. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, obviously, God doesn't want them to go back and out where Jesus is so that Herod can come and do what he wants to do. He warns them in a dream, and they go home another way. And I guess I've always read that, and I was just like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But something dawned on me as I was reading it this year. Why didn't he use a star? I mean, that's what these guys knew. That's what what brought them to Jesus. He used this star to bring them to Jesus. Why didn't he just use another star to take them back home? He speaks to them in a dream. He warns them in a dream, which is very different. The sign that drew them to the Savior was external. But the sign that helped them walk away from the Savior and go back home was internal. I think that's significant. Their experience with God was different after meeting Jesus than it was before. 
He used what they knew and understood before to bring them to the point where they met him and presented their gifts. But then he gave them something personal to help them walk after that. And this is what God does with us. He uses these external signs, these other people, and he draws us ultimately to salvation. He draws us into fellowship with him. But then as we walk, he gives us something better than a star in the sky. He places his spirit within us. And the spirit of God walks with us and guides us and leads us and teaches us and empowers us. And he is so much more significant than those external signs and symbols. And often, even as believers, we walk through life and we're we're trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And we're looking for outside signs and symbols to tell us what to do or where to go or to lead us. And God doesn't necessarily going to lead us that way, but he's going to lead us from here. We listen to the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We allow him to guide us, him to lead us, him to direct us, him to illuminate scripture to us so that we can understand what God wants from us. It's not just God leading us, it's God in us. He gives us the gift of the spirit, the gift of guidance, the gift of comfort, the gift of power, the gift of direction, the gift of Christ's salvation is good news, but the gift of the spirit is as well. That we're not alone. That we don't have to guess, that we don't have to read the stars and look for the signs. But that as believers, God places his spirit within us and we walk with him. Jesus wanted his own followers. He grows up, of course, and he's done ministry. And he wants his own followers to understand, his disciples to understand that he's going away. But what he needs them to know is that him going away isn't a bad thing. But that what is coming is better is better for them. And so he tells them in the last week before he's crucified, he says, I'm going away, but but you need to understand it's better for you that I go away. I know they've gotten used to Jesus being right there, right by his side, very physical, very tangible, doing miracles, out in the lead, out in the forefront. But he says, what's coming after this is better for you than even me right here. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. This is Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. but Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And this is one of the great presents of Christmas. God in us. Not just God with us, not just God for us, but God in us. Walking with us every day. You are never alone. You are never alone. He leads us. He empowers us. He directs us. And we need to receive and appreciate this gift. And we need to learn to listen to him. In fact, I think this is the greatest deficiency in the church. I think the greatest deficiency in the church is that we are not very good at listening to and following the Spirit. And either we 
sort of, if you think of it, sort of a spectrum within Christianity. One side of the spectrum just discounts the spirit altogether, and it's very logical and very pragmatic and, and all of that. And unfortunately, the other side of the spectrum turns the spirit into like the, your crazy uncle who you never know what he's quite going to do. <laughs> turns the spirit into a sideshow, like he doesn't plan things and he's not wise and he's just in the moment, he's not eternal. What we have to do is we have to understand and get really good at understanding, knowing that the spirit, he's a person and he is with you. He dwells within you. And he is wise, and he is practical. He leads us into certain emotions and thoughts. And that we have to get really good at waking up every single day and saying, Spirit, lead me today. Show me what you want today. When we're walking into a particular situation, let me give you some, hy- some hypotheticals just to kind of get the wheels turning. All right, you're going to go to some family get-togethers this year? I would imagine some of you. I would imagine for some of you, that's not a great experience. And you would rather not, but you have to, because it's Christmas. And we all pretend we like each other at Christmas, even if we don't. And I don't think you have to like everyone. Let's be clear about that. But you just should honor your family. And so um, you may be going to a Christmas get-together this year, and it's always stressful. But this year may be different than years before. And you get in the car and you head over to wherever it is you're going. Instead of just reviewing in your head all of the things the person has done to upset you. And how you're going to punish them for it or ignore them because of it. This time, maybe instead, you spend that time praying and saying, God, I want to represent you today. I want to represent you. I want to represent Jesus Christ at this family get-together. And so I need me not to be me. I need me to be you. I need my words to be your words. I need my thoughts to be your thoughts. And I know that can happen because the Spirit is with me. And so Holy Spirit, lead me today. Give me patience. Give me grace. Give me wisdom. Help me to know who to talk to, who not to talk to. What to say, what not to say, what my attitude should be. Help me to represent Jesus right now. Because maybe for some of you, myself in some situations, miserably failed up until this point. In fact, often I'm not just me, I'm the worst version of me. So help me to represent and be like Jesus. And he will help you to do that. But you have to ask him. You have to let him. You have to allow him to. You have to make room. And when that happens, you're going to find some weird things happening. Not like mystical things or creepy things. But you'll find you have patience you didn't know you had before. Well, that's a gift. You may find that you have wisdom you didn't know that you had. That's a gift. And the Spirit will empower you. And lead you, but you have to ask him. This is a constant thing for us as believers. And what happens is as we practice that, as we're more and more conscious of it, it becomes more and more natural for us. And eventually we practice it enough. We put on that mentality and say, spirit lead me, spirit guide me, that at some point it becomes natural for us to do that. We don't have to think about it as much. It happens on its own. 
This is a process of spiritual maturity. And it's something that we as believers need to get better and better and better and better and better at. Listening to him, responding when he speaks, and being bold. What do you want me to do? So that we can not only receive, but open this great gift that God has given to us. I mean, some of you, you have the spirit in your life, but you haven't opened him. You're not listening to him. You're not pursuing him. And so you have to open the gift because you never know what's inside. Might be something great. Anybody been waiting for this? I saw a nod right there. You couldn't handle it, could you? (laughs) Here we go. It's it's undershirts. (laughs) Okay, so in this case, and there's two missing. Oh, man. All right, so in this case, in this case, the gift isn't great. (laughs) There's... It's from Walmart. <laughs> In this case, all right, the gift, it didn't pay off. But let me, let me tell you something, okay? And I can tell you this from experience. And there are so many people in this room that would reiterate it and would tell you from their experience. Learning to walk and listen to the Spirit is so much better. It's so much better. You don't make some of the same mistakes that you used to make. You just don't do some of the dumb things you used to do. You don't walk through life with the same kind of regrets that you used to walk with because you're following him and listening to him. And the best thing about it, the best thing, is that when you're walking with and in the spirit, you feel close with God. You feel close with him. And he begins transforming you into the person he created you to be. And you actually start feeling fulfilled in life. Doing the things he wants you to do. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Letting this now pour out of us. It is the best way to live. And so this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to recognize the fact that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, God is in you. And he wants to transform you, but you've got to let him got to pursue it. And so maybe this Christmas season, you make that commitment with me. And we're going to walk more and more closely with the Spirit and listen to Him everywhere we go. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and want you to know how much we love you. And not just for what you've done for us. Not just for the gift you gave us. But simply because of who you are. You are good and you are love. And so we thank you. We thank you for the gift that you gave to us this Christmas season, something we didn't deserve, couldn't earn, salvation. To give your son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, Savior, who not only was born but died, died paying for our sin in our place. And not staying on the cross, but put into the tomb and raised on the third day, proving power over sin and death. And as we sit here, as we stand here face to face with the Savior, we thank you so much, God, that you have offered us, even us, salvation. 
So God, I pray for anyone right now who's never put their faith in you, that right now they would. They've been led to this point, and today they believe. Today they believe. Today they put their faith in Jesus for salvation. Trust him. God, as they make that decision, we know that you forgive them. You know, we know that you have grace for them. And they join all of us today as your children. They join us in a journey where we're following and listening to your spirit. Being drawn into fellowship with you. Being drawn into fellowship with each other. Learning what it means to be your child. Learning what it means to be like Christ in this life. And looking forward to the hope that we have with you, of eternity with you. And so God, right now, we commit to you. We commit to you our hearts. That we will follow, that we will listen. That we will respond when you lead us. And so right now, God, we we ask forgiveness. Anywhere we have walked our own way, anywhere that we have done our own thing, anywhere that we have sinned, we ask forgiveness of those things so that we can walk in purity and truth, so that we can walk in the way that you've designed us to walk. And this Christmas, we commit ourselves to that. And so God, all of our prayers today, all of our commitments today, receive them. We pray that they're honoring to you, that they bring you glory as we walk closer and closer with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.